Well, good morning, Trinity Church. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Bill. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Church, and I'm honored today to be able to just spend some time with you in God's Word together. We're in a series returning after our mission celebration a weekend, uh, last weekend, returning to a series in the book of John called Conspiracies, Adversaries, and Unbelief. And just like the feel of that opening video, the plot thickens today. And we're just going to feel the tension as this story moves, as the Messiah is revealed together. Pastor Todd is away enjoying some R&R, literally. It's a, just a refresh and a renew, a time to be with his family. I believe they're going to just be together, the whole family, this next week. And um, so he's going to enjoy that time. We need to be praying for him and for his family as, as uh, they just spend that time together. He'll be back on August 1, and he'll actually finish this kind of episode that we start, he started uh, two weeks ago. And we're in this episode with some scenes that we're going to be in for the next three weeks. So we're just going to kind of step in and then do a to-be-continued today in the book of John. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn to chapter 8, John chapter 8, and um, we're going to pick up at verse 12 in, that, in uh, the book of John. So and when I think about this passage that we're in today, it drew my memory back to when I was in college, and I see some college students here. And it was early on in my college years, and I was reading the book of John, and I had never, the, the, the I am statements of Jesus started jumping off the page right into my heart. And they were hitting me hard in a, in a way where I was in awe of who Jesus was, who he was claiming to be, and what he was offering to me in those I am statements. We already looked at the I am the bread of life a number of, of couple of months ago, and today is this next statement where he's saying, I am, and he's offering himself to us. And so I remember it was so significant. I typed them out. I printed them on my dot matrix printer. <laughs> and I put them on my door, all eight I am statements. And this passage that we uh, are in today ends, the, the climax is awesome, and Todd gets it. I don't get it today, all right? But when he gets to that, it's as good as it gets. And, and we're getting to kind of set the stage as we continue. When I think about the I am statements, Jesus offers to us the very things that we need the most. And today, what he is offering and the question that we're going to look at is what is God's solution to the darkness and death in this world? What is God's solution to darkness and death? And you and I both feel it. We probably feel it now more than we've ever felt it before. I met with someone in my office this week who was just so overwhelmed by just the sense of darkness, not only in his own life, but everywhere, everywhere in this world, every 
piece of news that he reads or would look at, just sensing that, that sense of hopelessness. And God has an answer for that. God has an answer for us today. So it's important to pause before we jump in. And I want to mention something. What we started in, in what Todd preached on two weeks ago in chapter 7 really continues in our passage today. And you may notice we're skipping something. And if you look in your Bible, it has brackets around it. And the reason is, is because it was something that scholars are pretty much in total agreement on was added to the Bible almost 200 to 300 years after the book of John was written. It's a wonderful story about the woman caught in adultery. And it characterizes the compassion of Jesus. And so there, there's pretty much agreement. It's probably a true story, but it was inserted into this larger storyline that's happening. And so for, for those purposes, we're going to actually jump over it. Um, it's worth taking a look at, and many people preach sermons on it. We don't have anything against that, but we're going to continue the storyline as was started two weeks ago. And so that's why we're picking up at verse 12. Before we do, I'd like to pray just for our time together. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Lord, thank you for the promise that when your word goes out, it will not return to you void, but it will accomplish its purpose and I pray that for all of us here today in this room, outside and online watching this. God, would you accomplish what you want to in our hearts, in our lives, through your word today. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. To pick up where we left off, I want you to understand this is the Feast of Booths. If you grew up as in the Jewish culture, this is probably one of your favorite feasts that you celebrate all year long. It's an eight-day long feast. It comes right at the end of the harvest, mid-October, and, and people would flock to Jerusalem, and it was a feast that was full. It was for the intention of worship. God told Moses, write this down, tell the people they need to celebrate this feast every year to remember my faithfulness bringing them through the wilderness, those 40 years. And so this, this is a feast that had been happening for thousands of years, and that's what's happening. And Jesus goes to Jerusalem, and about halfway through this eight-day feast, he begins speaking in the temple, and that's what's happening in chapter 7. And if you can imagine, there, this is a feast full of dancing and singing and celebration and sacrifices. There are two symbols which are really significant in this feast. One is light. They deck out the courtyard of the temple with lights, and they make it this fantastic, beautiful ceremony so that it was said the whole city would just be lit up from, from the temple on the hill. And 
this, um, this reminded me, I thought of Christmas, right? Christmas is when we just go nuts with light, right? That's what this was like for them, the theme of light. The other theme was the theme of water. And every day it is said that they would had this, this uh, ceremony where they would bring water up, they would pour it out, and they were basically praying and expecting God to bless them with abundant rain. Because just like our climate, right, same as our climate, their rain only came November through March or April. And so water was a theme. And Jesus had blown everybody's minds when he said, if anyone's thirsty, let him come unto me. For if anyone believes in me, just like the scriptures say, they, they will, a spring of well will spring up within them and overflow. And at that moment, a ton of people who, this is a huge, you know, huge crowds were listening to Jesus. A bunch of people started saying, this is the Messiah. This is the prophet. The Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, were really intimidated by that. And so they started saying, no way, the, the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, and they're trying to cast doubt on people's belief that Jesus was the Messiah. And, it, and they go on like this, and then finally Nicodemus says, shouldn't we give Jesus a chance and listen to what he has to say? And his colleagues just kind of rammed him and just said, are you from Galilee too? Nobody believes in this guy. And that's where we pick up. Nicodemus has just said, I think we should give him another hearing. And I think what we get to listen to today is that hearing. Okay? So here we are. And before we get to the passage, I want you to picture this. Just imagine this. I'm imagining a little bit, but if this was full of psalms and singing... What if this was one of the psalms that they were singing at the time? All right? It's going to be on your screen, and I'd like to read it out loud together. So will you read it with me? Psalm 36. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Can you imagine that? They might have been singing that. And so Jesus, during this ceremony, he's in the courtyard on this last day of the feast where they're probably going all out, just like those, the last end of a fireworks show. And this is what he says in verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We know who Jesus is if we've been reading John's book. Because John started his book with this theme I think that this day was so significant in John's mind that when he decided, I'm going to write this introduction to Jesus, I have to talk about light. And so what did John say early on? I think it's in like verse 3. He says, in him was life. In the very first chapter, 
He says, in him, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then a few verses later, he says, the true light, which gives light to all people, was coming into the world. This is the way John started his book. So this day was a very significant day to John when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And he says, if, if we follow him, we will never walk in darkness. And you start to think, what do you mean by that? But unfortunately, the Pharisees don't want to know that. Instead, they, they are going to try to derail Jesus because they are his adversaries. And so... Right away, instead of uncovering what does Jesus mean, they cast a question, and this is in verse 13. The Pharisees challenged him, here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. So they hijack Jesus' teaching, and they basically said, you're not telling the truth. That's pretty serious. They actually used Jesus' own words that he used in John chapter 5 when Jesus was talking about the same thing, witness. Jesus says, I don't bear witness on my own. And they totally missed his point because what Jesus said there is John the Baptist bears witness about me, my works bear witness about me, and my father bears witness about me. And so the Pharisees chose the wrong thing to push Jesus on. <laughs> Because they missed his point. And here's why. This is the first point in your notes today. Those who deny spiritual truth about Jesus are walking in darkness. Those who deny the truth about Jesus are walking in darkness. So Jesus says the skeptics, these skeptics have no idea who he is or what his purpose is. They're in the dark. Let's pick up at our text in verse 14. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. So Jesus claims he actually can bear witness for himself because of who he is, where he came from, and where he's going. We could say his origin is where he came from, and his destiny or his purpose is where he's going. And earlier, he's been talking over and over the bread of life that came down out of heaven. I came from God. And that's why I can bear witness and I can say what I just said about myself, that I'm the light of the world. And so Jesus is going to tell the Pharisees, you don't know. You don't know who I am or why I came. And it would be important for us as we continue this dialogue to be looking for the answers to those two questions and what Jesus is going to say. Who is he? And where's he going? 
What's his purpose? Because that's what he brings up right here. As we continue, Jesus continues this, this dialogue. He says, you judge, in verse 15, you judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But I, if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. Well, I'm the one that testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. He says, you want another witness? I'll give you one. My Father. You see, Jesus identifies a fallacy in their mistaken judgment of him. They don't consult the source of spiritual truth, the Father. They are making, he says, a human judgment. You're not judging spiritually, right? The Spirit is not giving you discernment about who I really am. You need to look to the Father because he's my other witness. Wow, isn't that relevant to where we are today? When you think about through, through centuries and centuries of Christianity, not just today, you have people making up who they think Jesus is, what they think he's like, what's Christianity about, what would Jesus approve of and not approve of. We live in this kind of culture where people... You and I sometimes, we fail to go to the source of spiritual truth. And the Pharisees made that same mistake. You see, this truth is, is not made up, doesn't merely rely on human understanding. Ours is not a free-for-all faith. It's not a make-it-up-as-you-go faith. Spiritual truth is grounded in the source of spiritual truth, the Word of God. And that's what Jesus is pointing the Pharisees back to. You guys know God's Word. He's pointing them back to the Word and saying, if you would look there, then you would know that I am who I say I am. And so Jesus says, I stand with the Father. I was thinking, wouldn't it be just crazy if this, if we were in a courtroom and this were being tried out, right? In a, in a modern day courtroom, right? Jesus is on trial. The prosecutors are the Pharisees, the religious people of the time. Jesus is the defendant and he's standing as his own witness. And they're saying, your witness isn't true. And Jesus says, okay, I'll call another witness. I'm going to call my father. Remember that the Pharisees in chapter 5 wanted to kill him because they said he made God out to be his father. So they knew who he was talking about. When he said, my father, they knew he was talking about God because they already had that against him. And so... Jesus says, he's the one who sent me. I stand with him. I'm not alone in this. 
I'd like to take a look at one possible place the Father gave witness that the, the, the Pharisees knew the Word of God better than anybody else. The places that probably testify the most to Jesus' identity would be the Psalms and would be the book of Isaiah. And so I just want to pick one out of many we could choose from today. Let's just look at Isaiah 43, 10 and 11. It's going to be on the screens. I want you to read this out loud with me as a, as a testimony about Jesus. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior." One possible place that the Father gave testimony of the Son, his servant. You're going to see the language Jesus used verbatim coming up in this passage about believing that he, I, you, if you believe and know and believe that I am he. You're going to see that in a, in a few minutes. Our minds ought to be blown when we think about Jesus saying, I'm calling the Father as my witness. Taking us back to the very beginning of the creation of the world. What are we told in Genesis 1? All was formless and void and dark, right? Everything was covered in darkness. And then God enters the scene, and what are his first words? Let there be light. And there was light. And so John when he starts his book, creates a Genesis 1 introduction, doesn't he? He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was there in the beginning, and everything that was made was made through him. And apart from him, nothing that was made, that has been made, was made. John is introducing Jesus as there with God at the beginning. Isn't that amazing? It raises a question for us today because he's saying, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you judge by human standards. You're not listening to the Father's witness. It begs the question, how does one open up to spiritual truth? Spiritual people are missing spiritual truth. How do we do that today in our world? And I would say we go to the source of spiritual truth. The Father spoke to the Pharisees, and he speaks to us through his word. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to know it. We need to live it. And we need to share it. We have it. We have God's word. That's where they should have been looking. They should have been looking for Jesus in his word, and they were not. And so, Jesus' conclusion is really, really sad. And that's where we look at next. In verse 19, they asked him, where is your father? And he says, you do not know me or my father. 
Jesus replied, if you knew me, you would know my father also. His conclusion, these skeptics do not know God. The very people who profess to know God, the most religious people who had the reputation for knowing him, this is so tragic. Jesus says, you don't know me. And so you don't know, you don't know the Father. You've missed, you're missing him because you're missing me. And it's true for us today. Is it possible that we can live our lives as very religious people and not know God? This shows us that it's very possible. If we don't know Jesus, we don't know God. John comments at this point in verse 20 that Jesus was not yet arrested because his time had not yet come. Jesus makes a profound summary on the night that he was betrayed in a prayer. And he starts it saying, my time has come. Where am I going? I'm going to the cross. And he prays this prayer. And Paul led us through communion wonderfully. And it's that night, you know, right after Jesus led his disciples through this last supper that he prays these words. And I, I want to sit in these words before we move on because they're so significant. This is John 17, verses 1 through 3. I'm just going to read them, and I want you just to listen and ask yourself, do I know Jesus? Do I know the Father? He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you know him? Does your heart yearn to know him more? This is eternal life. It's not merely a ticket out of hell. It's not a pass into heaven when you die, merely. It's a life of knowing Jesus and following Jesus. His invitation to start out is anyone who follows me. That's what eternal life is. And we get the opportunity to spend our lives, our lifetime in pursuit of knowing and following Jesus. I remember when I was in my, my I grew up up the hill in Ukaipa First Baptist, Grace Point, I believe it's called now. And I remember when I was in high school, I don't remember if it was a sermon, but there was a phrase that just hit me hard, and, it, and it's always been in my heart, and I, I found out that it was the, the mission statement for the navigators, and it's this, to know Christ and to make him known. 
And I realized that's what life's all about. That's what my life ought to be about, to know Christ and to make him known. And we could rephrase that, to know Christ and help others to know him, couldn't we? And I realized that's my mission. And God's been kind of working on me ever since and still working on me to remember that. If you're a believer here today like me, this pursuit is our greatest privilege. And if you're young here, this I've been thinking about this because this was so important to me in my young years in high school and college. What's going to give you an enduring faith? It's that pursuit of knowing God. When you read the word of God, you can look in God's word for wisdom. I can look in God's word for the right moral choices. Those are very, very important. But my primary focus when I read God's word or I come to a worship service needs to be, I want to know God. I want to know him better. I want my life to be about making him known. The Apostle Paul was one of the Pharisees, wasn't he? I don't think he was necessarily here at this moment because he didn't meet Jesus until after Jesus had been resurrected, just like us. But you know what Paul said? Paul, the former Pharisee, talking about his religious ways, I count everything as loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's in Philippians 3. I count everything as loss compared to this surpassing value. All right, we need to finish up pretty quick here. The second point, and this, what could be more tragic than not knowing God? The consequences. And that's what Jesus points to next. In your notes, those who do not know Jesus will die in their sins. I feel the weight of that statement. As I wrote it, I just felt the weight. Those who do not know Jesus will die in their sins. And these are people who are rejecting Jesus. They've heard about him. They're rejecting him. It seems, it's a little confusing at this point, if Jesus now, you know, he's been interacting just with the Pharisees. There are a whole bunch of people there. His disciples are there. Crowds are there. It, it seems like he kind of turns now to everyone. The Jews is the way that John kind of characterizes the crowds at the time. But it's almost like he turns back to this larger crowd and he cautions those who are listening of the danger of unbelief. Because that's what we're witnessing here, the danger of unbelief. And so he is cautioning them about that. And remember, what's in question is the truth of Jesus' claim that he's the light of the world. And ultimately, the truth of the crowd's claim that he's Messiah. Right? Remember, that's how this whole debate began. It's because the crowds are saying he's the Messiah. So let's pick up at verse 21. Once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away. You will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. 
This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are from this earth, from this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. That's pretty clear, isn't it? The major sin here is unbelief. It's unbelief. That's what he's talking about. In fact, commentators noticed, and I didn't notice it at first until I studied it, that the first thing Jesus says is, you will die in your sin Singular. One sin is going to make you die in that sin, in the guilt of your sin. And that's the sin of unbelief, most likely. And then when Jesus comes back a few verses later, he repeats himself in verse 24. He says, I told you you would die in your sins. Unless you believe I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. What's Jesus talking about? He's saying you are going to have a spiritual death. You are going to die with the penalty of your sins on yourself. And as a result, you're not going to get eternal life. Right? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. I came down from the Father. He's emphasizing it over and over, right? You're from this earth. I'm not from this earth. He's saying, where I am going you're not going to get to go because you don't believe that I am he. So they get it, and they finally ask a really good question. (laughs) They finally ask the most important question, and this is in verse 25. They say, who are you? Who are you? They asked Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied, I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him, I tell to the world. This is as close as Jesus got to saying, I have told you already, and you're not listening, right? He's saying, I've already told you all this. You know who I am and you refuse to believe it. The crowds know who I am, right? They're they're saying he's Messiah. His disciples know who he is. That's why they're following him. But he says, you do not. And so he points back to the father's testimony and says, I'm just telling, telling it like it is to the world. I'm telling what the Father has told me, what he sent me for. He's the one I've come from. He's the one I'm going to return to. That's what Jesus is saying here. And so, concluding this section that we're going to look at today, pick up at verse 27. They did not understand what he was telling, that he was telling them about his Father. And so Jesus said, 
when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am He. And I do nothing on my own, but I speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, John tells us, many believed in him. And so Jesus ends right where he began with his purpose. And he refers to the time when he's lifted up, referencing the cross. And he says, then you'll know that I'm he. And so our last point today is that to know Jesus is to meet him at the cross. When Jesus uses this word, lift it up, I can't help but think that Nicodemus is still there and he makes eye, eye contact with Nicodemus because in that one-on-one -on -one encounter that Nicodemus sought out Jesus and they talked, Jesus talked about being lifted up. And he's going after Nicodemus' heart, just like he's going after your heart and my heart. He's talking about the world believing. But he has you and me and Nicodemus in mind. I'm just imagining that, that he's looking at Nicodemus. Because listen to what he said to Nicodemus. This is back in chapter 3, two verses before John 3.16. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Can you imagine him just making eye contact with Nicodemus while he says that? Some of Jesus' last words before the last words that he spoke to crowds in, in teaching context. In verse 12 of John, sorry, John chapter 12, verse 32, he says, and, when, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. You see, this is Jesus' purpose. This is the Father's purpose. So what will it take what will it take for you and me not to die in our sins? It takes the cross. It takes the cross. And if you and I want to know the Father, and those of us who do know the Father, we meet Jesus at the cross. And then we're given eternal life. And John's conclusion, even as he spoke, many believed in him. It's no surprise because this is John's purpose for writing his book. He said, I'm writing all these things. This is at the very end, his conclusion, so that you might know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. In this case, believing is taking to heart Jesus' claim that he's the light of the world, that he offers light and life in place of darkness and death. And how does that come to us? Through believing that he is who he says he is. Through following, he says. You follow me, and this is what I give you, the light of life. And so the question we began with is, what is Jesus' answer 
to the world's darkness and death? What is God's answer? His answer is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want to think about the words that the Pharisees never asked. What do you mean by never walk in darkness? Because that's what the promise is here for us. For so many in this room, I know that this has been your lifelong pursuit, has been following and knowing Jesus. And for some of you, maybe this is a beginning of you sensing, I need this. What is it? What does he mean? I'll never walk in darkness. I had to think about this because there's darkness all around us. I feel my own sinfulness. That's darkness. I feel the evil thoughts and, and deeds in my own heart. I feel the suffering around us. Some of us have to walk through incredible suffering of loved ones dying. That's darkness. What does he mean we'll never walk in darkness? And then it hit me. We have Jesus, the light of life with us in every moment. In those darkest moments, if we follow Jesus, then he's with us as that light of the world walking us through that darkness. But we're not in the darkness because we have the hope. We have the hope of eternal life. And so that's why John said, in him was life, that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. There is no darkness that can snuff out the light and the presence of Jesus in our lives. And isn't it interesting that Jesus, referring to the cross, says what? What does he say in those last verses? He says, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. That's our promise too. We'll never walk in darkness. So as we conclude the service today, I want to invite the band out. And I want to encourage you. Sometimes we always want to make an opportunity for people who are like, you know, I just... I've never believed. Or maybe you have believed, but you realize I am walking in darkness. I don't have confidence that, that God is with me or I've just turned my back on him. And I want to invite you to follow Jesus. That's the invitation. It's very simple. Follow Jesus. You'll never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so during this last song, I'm going to invite the prayer team. It's going to come up. Paul is going to be over here. I'm going to be down here. During the song, if you would like to pray with someone just about where you're at and just coming and following Jesus, I'd encourage you to come forward during that time. We're going to stay after the service as well. If you're outside, Jared is out there, and he'd be happy to pray with you if you're online. If you fill out a little prayer card, one of our prayer team will get a hold of you and pray with you. So let's respond in worship to the light of the world, our light and our life.